Okay, so tonight we will be in Isaiah 27. And as I mentioned in my um, email, if you are on the email list for these links, or if you get it through the home office, uh, home office little congregation website that we have set up for these Bible studies, seems like every chapter we get into in Isaiah has something really, really interesting and unique to talk about. One thing as we go through the book of Isaiah, we, we also see how many times we go back to other parts of the Bible to, as we go from chapter to chapter and see where God is just validating in Isaiah things that were written before in the Old Testament. Tonight, we'll even go into a little bit of the New Testament where the where Isaiah is validated in some of the New Testament scriptures as God talks about, about his people. It's a fascinating study, and, um, you know, Isaiah is a fascinating book, uh, you know. I, I, as you go through the book of Genesis, you know, you will say, if you understand the book of Genesis, you can understand the rest of the Bible. Beginning to see, too, that as we, if you understand and go through the book of Isaiah, verse by verse, like we're doing, that you begin to understand the rest of the Bible and have a hard time refuting what the law of God is and what his purpose for all of us on earth is and how he wants us to live. So, you know, as we begin chapter 27, we're in this, this midst of four chapters, 24, 25, 26, and 27, that are millennial in view, um, in a way. They, they talk about Christ coming. They talk about uh, some, of the, some of the punishment of the nations as before Christ returns, but they're more millennial in nature, as we saw last week. Chapter 27 is in that guise as well. Once we get past chapter 27, um, I said 24, 25, 26, 27, Beginning in chapter 28, it, it shifts gears again. It talks about Israel. It talks about Judah. It talks about their looking toward Egypt, um, how Assyria punishes them, and then God coming in to, to reclaim them again and forgive them for what they have done. So, you know, as we get into a few more prophecies of the following five chapters after this, <clears throat> we see God's hands alive. And I think as we get into the next five chapters, we'll see some of the things that are certainly yet ahead of us for Israel and Judah. But let's let's pick it up in chapter 27 here, because this is very interesting in its own right as well, and summarizes some of the stuff that we have, you know, that we have um, have seen before again. But in chapter 27 and in verse 1, you know, there's recorded a, a name in there that I think fascinates fascinates a lot of people. Uh, when they read it. Chapter 27, verse says, 1 says, in that day, right? So whenever we see in that day, it's talking about a time ahead of us, ahead of us. Yeah. So in that day, the eternal with his severe sword, great and strong, you know, we, we think ahead to Revelation 19, when Jesus Christ returns to earth and he's followed by those armies and it says he has his sword with a severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. So here we have this name Leviathan, and it has conjures up and conjured up imaginations of people for who knows how long, probably ever since it was written in the Bible. And there's speculation as you look through the commentaries of the world. There's all sorts of speculation on what exactly is Leviathan. One of the things that that just surprised me as I looked through some of those some of those commentaries that none of them really have an idea about what this verse is talking about. And that Leviathan is anything more than this, this physical sea monster. Many of them will say it's this Egyptian crocodile that is that has scales and a thin a skin so thick that you just can't penetrate it. And that that's what God is talking about here, this great sea creature that 
men just simply cannot cannot you know oh my always have overcome kill the only soft part is on its belly it says and whatever and it's amazing how many will say that others will say no it's not but they have no idea what leviathan is you know it says in verse one here that he's the fleeing serpent so when it talks about you know christ or the lord that's there with his severe sword he, you got you you have the vision of leviathan running from him he knows what his fate is. He knows what's going to happen to him. So Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he, the eternal, will slay the reptile that is in the sea. There's an awfully lot in that verse, but let's let's talk about Leviathan for a moment. And what what is Leviathan? You know, it's, it's mentioned four or five times in the Bible by name. If you look up the Hebrew, it's very much the English. The English uh, word or name there is very much like the is very much like the um, Hebrew word that it is translated from. And as we often say, the Bible interprets itself. If you go to other parts of the Bible, you can you can learn what God is talking about with this serpent that that you know the, the returning Jesus Christ with his sword is going to have to slay. That's in the sea, which is another, which is another uh, clue to who this or who or what this Leviathan is. But let's go back to the book of Job. We'll be going back to the book of Job a few times tonight. And there is one chapter in Job that is completely dedicated to this Leviathan creature. And as we read through Job 41, this is just one of the really nice things about Isaiah as we go back into other parts of the Bible. You know, we've we've gone forward into some prophecies before, into some of the minor prophets that we may not often look into as we've looked at some of the contemporaries of Isaiah. Tonight we're going to look back at, at Job, and sometimes, you know, we don't pay attention to some of the detail that's in the book of Job because we just know the story of Job and we know what the outcome of that story is. But let's look at, at Job 41, and we're going to read through this chapter, but I want you to think about what God is saying here because there is an... There's an awfully lot about Leviathan and the Leviathan that we're reading about in Isaiah 27 that's identified in Job 41. So he he talks about it as it begins kind of like a, a physical creature that lives in the sea. That seems to be the common theme with Leviathan in chapter 41 and um, chapter 41 and verse one. It says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Well, you can kind of get the vision, right? Can you draw? Can you draw him out? Drop a drop a fishing line into the in, into the lake, and can you just draw him out? Is he that small that you can just catch him like a regular fish? Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook, or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? So God is painting a picture here. The answer, of course, is no. We're going to see. Can you put a root reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Those of you who just joined were in Isaiah. Our, uh, Job 41, verse 2. Can you put a reed through his nose or piece his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he see, speak softly to you? Kind of a being is he? Is he going to is he gonna is he gonna just attack you? Is he is he going to be subtle maybe in nature? Is he gonna speak kindly to you to kind of draw you in? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Would you trust him? Would you make him part of your life and make him part of your household and your being? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you leash him for your maidens? Going to keep him as a pet? 
something that you have around the house that you that you are endeared to? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Or is he this animal that you kill and you, you prepare and you eat? Will they make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants or just sell him out so that he can the meat can be sold someplace else? Is that what his purpose is? Is that what Leviathan is for? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Is he that type that you can be out on one of those big ships like Moby Dick the whale and just harpoon him and you can capture him that way? Is that how he's going to be conquered? Lay, can you lay your hand on him, verse 8? Lay, or no, lay your hand on him. You know, just, just try to grab him. Remember the battle and you'll never do it again. He's a fierce, fierce, fierce competitor, this Leviathan. You may try to wrestle with him, but you won't win. You won't win and you won't over you won't overcome him. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false, verse 9. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? He's a ferocious looking creature, this Leviathan, scary and, and puts you off just by the presence of him. Verse 10, no one is so fierce that he would dare stare here, stir him up. Who then is able to stand, God says, against me? If you understand Leviathan, if you've ever come face to face with him, you would never, you want to keep him at a distance. You don't want to go to battle with him. You're not going to overcome him. And then God says, well, who then is able to stand against me? If you, if you, if you wouldn't dare stir up this Leviathan that I created, because he's a created being, why would you even, who's able to stand against God who created this fierce being that none of us on our own could overcome or, or prevail against. Who has preceded me, verse 11, that I should pay him? Everything under heaven, God says, is mine. I created it, it all. You know, back last week or the week before, we read in Isaiah 45, and we went back to, remember Tohu and Bohu, back to creation. And God says it all, it all was of him. He's the one who created it all. Verse 12, I won't, I won't conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportion. I'm not going to keep it secret from you. He is, you know, he's a he's he's got power. He's got graceful proportions. He was an attractive, well, maybe, you know, graceful proportions. He can move pretty quickly. He's a pretty, pretty um, pretty uh, I guess athletic creature here. Who can remove his outer coat? Can you skin him like a, I don't know, what do, you, what do you skin? I don't even know, right? So can you shave him like a sheep? Can you skin him? Can you remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? You're going to ride him and going to tame him like a horse and put two bridles on him and think that you're going to domesticate this beast? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? Kind of get the vision as God paints a picture of what, what this beast is like. His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. Now, it's in this, these series of verses right here that some of the commentaries will quote and say, this is that Egyptian crocodile that has these scales that are so overlaid with each other that it's impossible to kill him from above. No, no arrow, no harpoon can pierce him um, and things like that. So you can kind of see what they're talking about. God is showing that here's this other created creature that really difficult, really difficult to, to kill. His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They're joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. His sneezings flash forth light. 
whatever he does, you know, when he makes this noise, we have this this brightness that occurs from him, right? You get later on. We'll talk about, or we'll we'll see the, the this fire that that emanates. Um, his sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning, bright, bright yellow, right? I mean, if you've seen crocodiles, they've got those eyes that just look like look like sun. Verse 19, here's the burning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. So, you know, as, as we go through this and we read about all the scales, we read about the, this, this, this very large, fierce, scary creature, if you will. Now we have out of his mouth going burning lights and sparks of fire shoot out. So you've all seen, you know, we've all seen in movies, dragons and comic books and whatever else like that. They get they get their genesis, you know, from some of these descriptions that are in the Bible. You know, it's, it, it's these dragons that are covered with scales and then they've got this fire breathing dragon that's there out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals. You've seen that in the movies, right? I mean, you could kind of just, they breathe and everything just burns up in front of them. You want to get a fire lit? If you had a pet dragon, you don't have to worry about the little, uh, the matches or the little uh, stick there. You just get your dragon out and he can, he can get it going really quickly. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck. It's not his weak point. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. Wherever he goes, he brings woe and destruction. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and can't be moved. He's got like he's wearing an armor all the time. It's a natural armor that's on him that just can't be can't be moved. And he has no heart, right? He has no mercy, verse 24. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. He comes up out of the sea. You can picture it. He's this massive creature. You know, I don't know how many of you remember hearing stories about the Loch Ness man's monster. And every once in a while, there'd be a sighting of them over in, in, in where is it, in Scotland, I guess. And people would just be, whoa, this monster coming up out of the sea, right? Whether it exists in reality or not. No one knows, but here you have this, this beast, this beast, if you will, coming out. And when he comes out, people are like, whoa, it's it's a it's in one way a marvelous sight, but it's a very awesome and frightening sight as well. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. They're panicked. Who can stand against this beast? Look how powerful this dragon is that's coming up out of the sea that we see, and then when he lowers himself. Though the sword reaches him, it can't avail. You can spend all day long shooting the AK-47s at him or, or whatever, but nothing's going to kill this beast. Nothing of man is going to kill him. Though the sword reaches him, it can't avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. Go ahead and do anything you want to try to discontinue me. It's not going to work. 
He's got that pride. He's invincible. Nothing's going to reach him. His undersides are like sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. And, you know, his undersides, that's the weak, the weak part of a crocodile, right? But I guess as some of the commentaries will say, see, he spreads pointed marks in the mire. When he comes up on land, he's got these little prints, whatever they look like. He makes the deep boil like a pot. Well, if he's full of fire and fire comes out of him, yeah, wherever he goes, you see the bubbling up. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. Well, you know, as he swims out, he swims out. He's got, you know, just like a motorboat, right? You see the wake behind him. It's kind of like, kind of like a, a, a shining wake behind him. He's quick moving as well. When he slides through the water, he leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. Kind of descriptive, right? Exactly right. It's just got the white all around it as it as it flows flows through the sea. On earth, there's nothing like him, which is made without fear. He has no fear of anything on earth. Nothing, nothing can topple him. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. I think those last that last line gives us a very good clue as to what God is talking and who he's talking about when he talks about Leviathan. All, all, the, all the earmarks and all the descriptions are there. There is nothing man can do to overcome him or to slay him. Yeah, Becky? Um, I just wanted to mention that last line. It makes me think that he's Satan. There's a comparison there. Yep. And there's also a mention of Leviathan in Isaiah 27, 1. Right. Um, and Leviathan, I think, is seven-headed. I'm not certain. I'd have to look. And I think that you can go uh, to the, the seven-headed beast that comes out of the sea in Revelation 11, maybe. And I think 13, that, 13, yeah. 13, okay. Yeah. Did I t- I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw all those in there before you moved on from that chapter. Yeah. That's well, I'm moving on from that chapter, but I'm moving in the exact same direction that you are, <laughs> that you're going. Okay, good. <laughs> because we have all these, we have all these descriptions here in chapter 41 of this in, invincible beast, if you will. Nothing on earth can harm him. He comes up out of the sea. When he rises out of the sea, people marvel at him, and and he is king over all the children of pride. He is king. Only God, only God, only the Creator can destroy this this created being. So let's do exactly what you said. Let's go back to Revelation 13 or forward to Revelation 13. And we have Leviathan that's mentioned there. Revelation 13, you know, as we look at the descriptors there, we can see where the ancient people, as you look up, you know, what is the origin of a dragon? How, how did this mythical creature ever come into, come into being in literature and whatever? And it'll talk about Chinese. It'll talk about all these ancient cultures and how they had this these dragons. And of course, dragon is, is pronounced in the Chinese culture even today. They have a year of the dragon and everything. But really, probably, if we got down to it, it's in Job 41 that some of those, as people put together the characters or caricatures of what is pictured there, that we have what, you know, people, this mythical creature of the dragon and all of its powers. Well, in Revelation 13, you know, we have this beast that's talked about. We've talked about this many times as we went through, you know, 
first by verse in Revelation, we were in Revelation 13 and talked about the beast arising out of the sea. So let's look at this. It'll conjure up just what we read in Job 41. I stood on the sand of the sea, John writes, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and on his horns, 10 crowns and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast I saw, and he describes it. It's got these heads, feet it's, uh, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So we have where that power came from. Didn't come from a man, didn't come from God, except that God, you know, Satan's got the power that God allows him to use. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw, well, let's drop, well, no, let's re go ahead and read three. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled. As they saw this beast arising up out of the sea, right? Wow, look at this fantastic creature. Probably scary, probably scary as we read down a little bit. I'm kind of in awe. Who can stand against the, this beast, right? He's, he, he, in, he incites fear in me. All the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. The dragon, of course, clearly Satan. And it says that there in Revelation 12. Um, nine, just one chapter back, the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old refers us back to Genesis 3, where the serpent appears in the Garden of Eden and deceives Eve. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So here we have, it's that Satan who's giving this beast its, its power. And they say, well, who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He's against against God, and of course, for the three and a half years. So you have this you have this tremendous beast with the same descriptors as Job forty one. This Leviathan, the same Leviathan that we read about in Isaiah twenty seven, and we see we see this beast arising. So in one sense, it's a, a literal creature because Satan is alive. In another way, it's a symbol of what Satan does, because it's Satan living in this or giving his power to this beast power that God likens us to. So we can kind of understand where God says, look at this beast arising out of the sea. He's cruel. He's heartless. Right. We read that about the beast. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about men, women. He doesn't care what our sad stories are. It's his way or the highway. Daniel 11, you remember, as it talked about that beast power as well at the end of chapter 11, they would talk about he had no regard for anyone. Exactly what God said in Job 41 about this, about this Leviathan. So we see this, but let's go back. Knowing, knowing that and seeing what God has said about this Leviathan and seeing him at the end of the Bible as well. Let's go back to Job again. Because Leviathan is mentioned there another time in Job 3. Job 3 and verse 8. Oh, let me see. Here Job is bemoaning. He's, of course, has this trial that he's going through. He's in misery. Let's just read through down to um, verse 8 and we can kind of see the agony that he's in and kind of the state of mind that he's in. Verse three, 
May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. It's like, you know, I, I just wish I was dead. No one should glory in the day of my birth. I'm going through a miserable time. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Look at the attitude. Look at this misery that Job is in. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those who curse it, who curse, may those curse it, who curse the day, those who are ready to revouse Leviathan. Wow. Those are ready to go to battle with, with this beast power. Why would you do that unless you were bringing death upon yourself? No one would rouse Satan. No one would go to battle with him. No one would bring that curse upon themselves or that misery. But when you're in a state of mind, that's what he's saying. Like who, these are, There are some who are just ready to go to battle with Satan or just ready to rouse him up and allow them into his life. He will bring nothing, nothing but misery. Darkness, despair, everything associated with nothing that we ever want to be part of is Leviathan. You know, David talks about Leviathan as well in Psalm 74. He compares him to one of the well-known rulers of the Bible who was not a ruler of God in Psalm, Psalm 74. Yeah, I'm going to go to verse 14, but I, um, yeah, let's just read verse um, verse 13. It'll draw our attention to who God is talking about. He doesn't name him by name, but he says, you divided the sea, Psalm 74, 13, you divided the sea by your strength. While we're in the time coming up to Passover, the days of unleavened bread, there's the great division of the sea, right? The parting of the Red Sea. So we kind of know what God is referring to here. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. So we know that God delivered Israel through the sea, but the Egyptians seeking to pursue the Israelites, they were drowned in that sea. You broke the head, the heads of, verse 14, Leviathan in pieces and gave him his food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. You, God, you broke the head of Leviathan in, the, in that sea. So who is God, what, what is God saying there? The actual Satan, the actual dragon? Or is he showing that Pharaoh, who was standing against God, remember we read in Psalm 41, why would you think you could stand against me? You can't stand against Leviathan. Why would you think if you can't stand against a created being that you could stand against me? Pharaoh did. He resisted God. He hardened his heart against God. He went to war with God. He had the spirit of Leviathan in him, right? And so God broke him. God broke him. He breaks Satan. He breaks the spirit of Satan. And the only way it can be broken when it's so thoroughly ingested in a person is by God. You know, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 14, you'll remember we talked about the king of Babylon and how God 
likened the king of Babylon or likened Satan to the king of Babylon. He talked as he moved from the king of Babylon into talking about Lucifer and his traits and the enormous pride that 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 Satan had, and and God compared him to the king of Babylon because that spirit was in him. And in Ezekiel twenty eight, it was the prince of Tyre, the king of Tyre, that God compared him to um, compared him to Satan as well. And here, you know, he compares Pharaoh to Leviathan, Leviathan. In Psalm one hundred four. You know, we see another another place here. Psalm 104, verse 26 is where I'm going. But let's begin in verse 24, since it's all one stanza here and get the whole um, scope of what God is saying. You can see in the verses leading up to verse 24, it's talking about, well, this whole chapter is talking about God's creation how he provides in the verses leading up to him you know for for the beasts of the field that he makes their their provisions for them in verse 24 you know um it says oh lord how manifold are your works in wisdom you've made them all the earth is full of your possessions this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things living things both small and great there are there are the ships sail about there is that leviathan which you have made to play there so in one sense when god is when it's talking about this great and wide sea this earth that we live in that is full of all sorts of teeming things of life of all sorts of you know men women good men evil men beasts of the field and everything living things both small and great their ships go about, and there is Leviathan's plaything. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. He's the one who kind of plays around with the earth as God allows him to. The whole world is under the sway of Satan. God tells those of us who he calls, resist him, right? Resist Satan. Don't play with him. Don't be part of the game of this world. Be part of the one who will destroy, who will destroy Leviathan, as we'll read back here in Isaiah um, 27. I want to show you one more thing. I should have gone to earlier. Let's go back to Numbers 21 for just a second. Now, God uses, you know, all the way through the Bible, as we've seen, serpents, dragons, fire, fiery serpents, you know, we're going to read about here in Numbers 21, that, that serpent that, you know, that approached Eve in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden and smoked the smooth things to her, the cunning things, the, the things that made her disregard and turn against God and choose him, cunning, clever, whatever he said to Eve that made her turn against her creator. You know, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they saw his wonders as well, and they turned against him too. They complained when they didn't have what they wanted. Um and anything they got discouraged they never learned just don't trust god he can bring he can bring water out of a rock right yesterday yesterday um we got terris mcdee was going to be doing an interview with this um tim mahoney many of you may have heard of him he's the one who does the patterns of evidences movies that you know i think one of the series was about the red sea where it was the crossing of the red sea 
and he's got the recent series is on where actually is Mount Sinai. So since he's coming in, you know, we kind of previewed that movie that's coming out in May and and there's a picture, you know, he's got as he's this is a very well done movie. He kind of proves where the where Sinai is. And as you go into that area, there's this rock that is very visible and unique, unique. And the rock is split right in two, right? So, um, and as they look down the mountain, as they think that you can see where the water would have come right through it, and it's perfectly cut in half. It's unique. There's nothing else like it. So one of the one of the things that they say is a sign that that is the mount, uh, that area, that Mount Sinai that God brought the water through the, through the rock in. But anyway, that's an aside. So here in verse four of of Numbers um, twenty one, it says they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. It's the story of Israel, right? The people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. There's no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread, even though it was feeding him. We hate this manna. We want what we used to eat in Egypt. So the Lord, what did he do? He was tired of hearing him. What did he do? And they were, they were acting like, they were acting like, you know, Spoiled children, right? They had the attitude of Satan in them, not grateful for what God had done for them, but complaining about what they wanted as they looked back at the world. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So you have these fiery serpents. When you when you look at fiery, it doesn't mean that these these serpents had fire coming out of their mouth, but they were poisonous, right? They 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 came and they bit the people. They they played right into their hands. The, the, the poison of that serpent, that fire that, it's, that it would spew out, would slay the people. And so God had to put up um, a thing of reminder, don't, you know, don't pay attention. Don't yield to the fiery serpents. Don't bring them, don't bring them um, upon you. So with all that background, <laughs> let's go back to Isaiah 27. And we see, you know, in that day, in that day, ahead of us, even, right? At the time that Jesus Christ will return, that Revelation 19 picture, when he comes out of heaven with his sword drawn to battle the nations, in that day, the Lord with his, I mean, verse 1, in that day, the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, he will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan doesn't ever flee from you and me, right? The Bible does say when we resist him, he will flee. We use the power of God, right? And then, then he'll flee. But here's, here's Christ, the returning Christ with a sword. He will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea, that beast power that comes up that the world marvels about. And so we, we have this picture, and we know exactly the time that God is prophesying of through Isaiah here, another indication of that time when Christ returns, and Leviathan, who, you know, pollutes the people of the earth, who scares the people of the earth, who worship him out of fear, and who have, who have them pretty much just in his, in his grips. They can't, they can't escape him, because the only way, the Bible tells us, that we can escape him is through the power of of Jesus Christ. Remember, it tells us that in, in Revelation, they or Revelation 12, it says they escaped him by the power of the Spirit in us. That's the only way we can escape that servant. So then let's go on to Isaiah, Isaiah 27, if or unless someone's got a question or comment they want to make before we move into verse two here. Yeah, I 
Okay, in verse two, we have another in that day. In that day, well, in that day, Leviathan's going to be put away, right? He's he's running from Christ. He says he will slay that dragon. In verse two, it says, in that day, sing to her. Well, the question is, who her? Sing to the Leviathan? No, Leviathan's not a her. In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, will keep it, or I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. So what is God talking about here? Well, he gives us a clue. We talked about it before, right? Isaiah builds upon itself as we go through the all 66 chapters of Isaiah. We'll think, oh, that's right. God talked about that in chapters past. So we can go back. We know we can know exactly what he's talking about. So if we go back to Isaiah 5, you'll remember the conversation that we had and the study that we had on chapter 5 where God likens his people to a vineyard, right? So in Isaiah 5, let's go back there and just kind of um, rehearse again. You know what we read in Isaiah um, 5, verse 1. Here we have the word sing, right? Isaiah 20, 27, 2. In that day, sing to her, Isaiah 5, 1. Let me sing, God says, to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. And then remember, we talked about all the things that you do as you have a vineyard, how you take care of it, how God, you know, perfectly took care of that vineyard. And it should have produced very, it should have produced great, 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 great grapes, but it produced sour grapes. And in verse seven, he tells us who the vineyard is. For the vineyard of the eternal of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, the cry for help. So, you know, we can go back and Isaiah interprets itself. We don't have to guess who is God singing to when he talks about a vineyard. And in, you know, chapter five, he talks about how he keeps it, how he waters it, how he takes care of it. He's got a hedge around it. He's got watchtowers, so no one will hurt it. He watches over it night and day. So we know what he's talking about. In that day, I will sing to my people, is what, what he is saying. So in verse 4, fury is not in me. That's past, right? God does, God does get angry. We've read that. He does punish the nations. He does punish Israel. He does punish Judah for turning against him. But the time for his fury, and, and of course, the whole day of the Lord talks about the, for God's vengeance on the earth for the way they have um, lived their lives in contrast to him. But now fury is not, is not in me, right? The time of anger is past. Christ has come. Leviathan has been slain. I'm going to sing to my people a song, a song to her. I'm going to keep them. Now, we've talked about God bringing Israel back to the promised land, the remnant that he would keep from from complete destruction of his people. Fury is not in me. And then he asks, who has set briars and thorns against me in battle? Again, are you gonna are you gonna battle me, he says? Are you going to see put some kind of uh thing in front of, of me? Let's go back to Isaiah 5. And I'm looking at my notes here. I wanted to go back to Deuteronomy 32. Well, first let's go back to Isaiah 5. Because again, some of the words that are here, you know, we've read, we've read before. Are you gonna, are you going to um, set briars and thorns against me in battle? And I'll, I'll finish verse four here. I would go through them and I would burn them together. 
God says, you're not going to set anything in front of me that I can't destroy. There's nothing you can do that would keep my power from it. So if we go back to Isaiah 5 and verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, you know, we, we see these, um, we see this. And now please let me tell you what I will do, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be burned and I will break down its wall and it'll be trampled down. I will lay it waste and it won't be pruned to dug or to dug. It won't be pruned or dug. I have somewhere in here is briars and thorns. That's what I'm looking for here. Let me look closer here. But in those verses, we see, you know, we see where, where God is punished. There's, there's six. It's in six. Yeah. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. Oh, yeah, there it is. Then, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. So God takes away the protection from them because it didn't produce the grapes that it was supposed to, was supposed to, right? So in verse four, he says, you know, how, look what you did. Are you going to, are you going to stand against me? I would burn them together. Um, let me do go back to, though, if you hold your place in Isaiah 27, let me go back for a moment to Deuteronomy 32. Because in Deuteronomy 32, we have that song of Moses that God gave him as Moses is talking about what will happen to Israel as they go forward into the promised land and the time ahead of them. And in Deuteronomy 32, much of it is a prophecy that has not yet occurred to Israel. And in verses 10 and 11, um, it talks about how God takes care of, we were talking about taking care of the vineyard. And, and in verse 10 and 11, it talks about this as well. It says, he found him, found him in a desert land, in the wasteland, the howling wilderness. He, God, encircled Israel, his people. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up his nest and hovers over its young, spreading, spreading out its wings, taking them up carrying carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. So, you know, we're going to come back to Deuteronomy 32 in a little bit there as well. But you can you can see God taking care of this people, just what it's talking about in Isaiah here. Um, God is inspiring Isaiah to write as well. He will take care of his people. So if we go back to Isaiah 27, he says, he says, fury is not in me. You know, who would set briars? I would burn them together. And verse five is a, you know, the, the, some of the verbiage in here is, is a little tricky and you got to take the time to see what God is saying and put, put the phrases together. And, and we know what God's plan is. This is where his Holy Spirit helps us to understand what some of these things are. Or let him take hold, let him take hold of my strength, he says, that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. What God is saying there is, you know, let Israel take hold of God's strength. It's God's strength. It's God's strength that helps us to battle against Leviathan, right? We all we, we all know that. We could turn, we spend a whole Bible study on that. It's only through God's strength that we can battle and overcome Leviathan. And so God says, you know, you take hold of my strength. What do you want to be reconciled to God? He might be asking. 
here, take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. How many times does Jesus Christ say, return to me? How many times in the Old Testament does it say, Israel, repent and turn to me? How many times does the New Testament say, repent and turn to God? Take hold of my strength. When the New Testament times, we'd say, repent and be baptized. Have the strength of God in you that you may make peace with God because we need God's we need God's spirit in order to be able to yield him to follow him to accept his way to stop resisting and rebelling against him and to just make that peace with him that he may make peace with me and God says and when you do this and when you when you take hold of my strength that you may make peace with me you will make peace with me i will be reconciled to you here's the way of reconciliation Turn to God, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. God accepts, and you're reconciled to God. So verse 5 is, is in, in, in some tough verbiage to understand is a New Testament verse. Take hold of God's strength so we can be reconciled to God. Now, when you make that your desire and, and he sees that's what's in your heart, you will make peace with him. God is willing. He doesn't want anyone to perish, right? Told that in, in uh, Peter's epistle. Verse 6, those who come to him, right, he will cause to take root in Jacob. Well, Jacob is his, is his people. It's like his land. If you, there is, there is life in that. There, if you want to take root in Jacob, you are taking root in where God places his name. It's not just about Jacob um, and the descendants, but it is God, you know, it, those who, take root in him. Remember as they came out of Egypt and, and some were strangers who came with them. And over years, people that weren't native Israelites in the Old Testament came in there and God said, fine. It's the same law for the native born as well as the stranger. Everyone is under the same law. We even have in Christ's lineage, some of the Gentiles, if we want to call them, who chose God and God chose them. They wanted to make peace with God. He made peace with them. They're part of the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel, his people, those who yield to him, will blossom and bud, and they will fill the face of the world with fruit. Now, that's, you know, certainly something that is, uh, is in this time. When you read the prophecies of the last days in Genesis 48 and 49, where it talks about the boughs of J Joseph will row, will will you know, it'll, it'll run over the wall. He will be, he will be a blessing to the earth. And we see that today in, in the lands, the modern day lands of Joseph, the English speaking nations, you know, they, they abound with food. We have plenty of food that God has blessed us with. And if we go to the book of um, the little prophecy of Amos, um, you know, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, we see in the last chapter of Amos, kind of in that day, you know, behold, the day is coming, God says that, you know, the land is going to produce plenty of Amos, Amos 9. Verse 11, you know, we see on that day, okay, on that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming, says the eternal, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. There'll be, there'll be so many crops in the field that before they can get them all in, it'll be time to start plowing again. The days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. 
there'll be so much abundance that they can't even get it all in and process it all before it's time to start planting again. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. All the hills will flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards. They will drink wine from them, and they will make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and they won't be pulled up anymore for the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So when Christ returns, when Israel is gathered up, we've talked about this before, God will bring them back to the places they, that the promised land that he gave them. The world will be blessed and he will, he will bless them in what they do because they will be doing it God's way. They will learn the way of God, the way, the truth, and the life. They will live it. And just like you and I, you and me, when we live it, God blesses us when we, when we do his, his will. So Isaiah going back, um, hold on. Yeah, I'm going to go, I need to look at my, uh, my notes here because I wrote down some associated verses. I do want to, I want to go back to, um, I want to go back to verse five for a moment, you know, talking about uh, taking hold of God's strength, make peace with him and he'll make peace with us. Let me give you just a couple of verses, New Testament verses. You know, in fact, I'll just read one of them to you in Romans 5 and, and verse 1 has the same sentiment. It says, therefore, having been justified by, by faith, we, that's you and, you and me, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The same type of peace that God is talking about here in Isaiah 27, verse 5. Same thing, same concept that you read in Ephesians 2, verse 14. Well, let's go back to Job, Job again. I said that we'd go back to the book of Job a few times. Let's go back to Job 22 this time in concert with that verse about making peace with God. We make peace with him. We take his strength, accept his strength, and then he makes peace with us. In Job 21, we'll read verses 21 to 28. I just want us to see, again, so many, so much truth in this book of Job that we may just overlook as we understand the story and think we know the story. We don't need to read Job, but there's an awfully lot of information and wisdom in here. Job 22 and verse 21. This is this is um, Eliphaz speaking, and he says, now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace, right? The peace that surpasses all understanding, Paul would write in Philippians, acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. Therefore, thereby goodwill will come to you. Well, let me say that again. Therefore, thereby God, wow, thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth. So there are words that, that we can take and, and, and be saying to ourselves, receive, receive, please, instruction from God's mouth. Lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your, your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. That's where the real riches are, right? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down and you say exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. 
He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. You'll be a blessing to other people is what he's saying. So it's a beautiful set of verses there that we could, you know, we could read to anyone in the church or anyone who's coming into the church, receive instruction from him. Just listen to what God has to say. And life would be so much, so much easier for all of us. And we would progress so much quicker and joy and peace and all the fruits of the spirit that God wants us, wants us to have. So, you know, we see these sentiments, the same, same sentiments here in Isaiah as we're reading through this relatively short, this relatively short um, chapter here, Isaiah 27. We'll go back there. And in verse 7, then, you know, God, God asks a question. Again, the verbiage, you got to take it word by word and, and, and see what God is saying here. In verse 7 of Isaiah 27, you know, he says, has he... God, has God struck Israel as he struck those who struck Israel? Well, no, we have that answer, right? We've read the prophecies of chapter 13 to 23. We saw, whoa, God, you know, prophesies these nations is going to be completely destroyed, not inhabited again. We read about Babylon. We read about Ab Egypt. We even read about Ammon, Moab, and Edom, and how for a while God protects them, but then in the end, they're completely destroyed, but not Judah, not Israel. He says, I won't completely destroy you. So has he struck Israel like he struck those who defeated Israel, were at war with him? The answer is no. Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? No, God wiped them out, right? He said, you know, remember in Obadiah, none of them will remain. Has Israel been uh, dealt with in that way and slain? No, God said there will be, remember, Isaiah 6, verse 10, only 10%, but God will not completely destroy Israel. There will be a lot of death, but there will be this remnant that's that has been slain. Has God dealt with Israel in the same way as the other nations that, that rebel against him or that take glory in what God has allowed them to do to Israel? In measure, verse 8, in measure by sending it away, you contended with it. Okay, so in measure by sending it away. What did God send away? He's talking about Israel here. He did send it away, right? They rebelled against him. They did not listen to him. They didn't follow him. And, and so he sent it away. Israel was defeated by Assyria. What happened? Assyria carried Israel away from its promised land, and they had to settle in Assyria. Judah followed suit. They didn't learn the lesson of Israel. Babylon came through, was 140 years later. Judah fell. They were carried away captive. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls were broken down. They didn't learn their lesson. And so God did send them away from the promised land. In measure, by sending it away, you, God, contended with them. He became their enemy. But he became their enemy because they really were at war with him. You know, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's true. It's us who leaves God. And when we leave God, we bring this upon ourselves. Israel left God. And so, Brother Shubi, yes, sir, brought this upon uh, themselves. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the translation you have says it. Yes. It, it, it is better as you, as you, as God is part of it is her because it is feminine in the so Hebrew. That, it is her by sending her, her away. Yes. Yeah, some translation translate properly. That's Excellent. Correct. Okay. 
and that even more those who God is showing her there, right? Yep. So mm -hmm. by sending her, by sending her away. So he did that. He removes it by his rough wind. <clears throat> There's a novel or some something about the winds of war. Remember that? I mean, the winds of war sweep through and it kind of changes civilizations, changes society. And so he removes it by his rough wind. Armies came in, Israel fell, Judah fell, all these nations fall. You know, we see the winds of war, the world around us now. And, you know, uh, eventually we will see the whole world change. And it'll become what the picture we see in Revelation 13, the picture that we see in Daniel 11. And all these things change when the winds of war come through. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind, in the day of the east wind. And so God, you know, he just, he's got these rough winds, but it's actually an east wind. And there's something about this east wind because it shows up in other parts of the Bible. And again, let's go back to Job. Now we see an east wind show up in Job, Job 27. Um, and let's, let's, um, let's pick it up in verse 19. I'm going to, I'm going down to verse 21 here. The rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. So we kind of set the context of what's going on here. Not, not a great picture, right? The rich man will lie down, but he won't be gathered up. He opens his eyes and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away and he's gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him and doesn't spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. So we have this east wind that brings that brings no good, right? The east wind carries him away. And God talks about how this east wind carried Israel and Judah um, away. In Jerah, we also find it, it looks like Job 38 I have written down here. If we go forward to Job 38. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember this one. This this is good. It'll conjure up um this will conjure up something that we read in Matthew 24 in the Olivet prophecy in Job 38, verse 22. Again, you know, God talks about these things that he created. Verse 22. Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail? Look what he says in verse 23. Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble? And then you read in Matthew 24, pray not that your flight be in the winter, right? All this, the snow and hail that I reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war, by what, what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? This time of trouble associated with an east wind and these things that God has reserved for the day of trouble. Dave. Jamie, also uh, another um verse where it's used is back in exodus 14 uh with the parting of the red sea in exodus 14 21 i just looked it up it talks about the east god uses the strong east wind uh to um you know uh, separate the sea the red sea very good yeah all that night yeah very good okay yep so east wind there's something about an east wind I guess I'm going to have to pay attention to whether when they when there's an east wind coming, makes me think of of Daniel 11 where it talks about 
um, the king of the north, he marches through the king of the south, and none of these nations, you know, will escape his hand. And then news from the east troubles him. There's trouble coming from the east. Now we see, you know, we see some winds of war as this Russia and China, you know, make these little noises out there about allying with each other, A-L-L-Y-I-N-G with each other, and uh, China maybe joining in with Russia against Ukraine. And we have this this stuff that that's happening all all around us here. So uh, one more on the east wind in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Wow, is it that late already? Okay, uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18 and verse 15. Yeah, verses 15 to 17. Because my people have forgotten me. You know, this is kind of, we, we can say this about, you know, us, if we forget God, if we turn against him, if nations turn against him, because my people have forgotten me, they burnt incense to worthless idols. They caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passed by it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face of the day of their calamity. God will turn his back on, on them or us if we fall you know, into that description of how we respond to God. He'll turn his back on us just the way we turn our backs on him. Um, sometimes, you know, we reap, we reap, we reap what we sow. So we have this east, east wind here. Um, let's go back to Isaiah 27. We're not going to get all the way through chapter 27 probably tonight. I won't keep you much longer, but let me, let me, um, Let's see if we can get through verse 11 anyway, and then pick it up, pick it up, and then move into 28 next week. Um, okay, so God contends with Israel. He removes it by uh, his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Notice, in the day of the east wind, a continual thing. Yeah, Edgardo? Did you? Yeah. Did you have your hand is raised, Edgardo? Did you want to say something? Oh, yes. And um, I wanted to mention that in reading the different different references to east wind in, in various books and, and verses, it seems to indicate some sort of God's intervention, uh, that east wind, that he's involving that when he operates powerful in certain occasions, like Dave mentioned, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the punishment of Israel, and, and things like that. So it's something yep, I wanted yep. to mention. He's, he's the one who brings the east wind, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Shows, shows his hand involved in it. Very good. So, okay, verse... Verse nine. Yeah, there, therefore, right? All these things that go before when we see therefore, God's drawing a conclusion. Therefore, by this, by what? By this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered by the fact that he was removed. He went into exile. He was taken out of his land. He was conquered by Assyria, conquered by Babylon. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. Again, there is there are consequences for sin, and this is the punishment that he had to pay for turning against God, just as we read back in Jeremiah um, 18. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. doesn't say forgiven, but there's a price to pay. And this is the fruit, then this is all the fruit of taking away 
his sin. When he turns back to God, remember we had that in, in um, uh, talking about making peace with God. This will be the iniquity. This is the fruit of taking away his sin. Got to turn back to God, have to repent, have to make peace with him, and then he'll make peace with us when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust. All these idols that he has set up for himself, you know, the, 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 the stone and the wood and the carved images of the Old Testament, but the idols that we have today that it talks about in Ezekiel 7, the gold, the silver, you know, the weaponry, all the things that, that we have as our gods today. This is how you make peace with God, he's saying. When he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones, you're going to take them away. Remember in the, in, in, in the books of the kings and, the, uh, and in Deuteronomy, God says, when you go into that promised land, break down the altars, tear them all down, get away of all the idols, take it all down, tear, take all that, only one God before you. When he then makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. Clear the land. You know, many times I'll say we got to clear the landscape, clear the landscape of our minds, you know, and get rid of all those idols and all those things that stand between us and complete trust in God. It takes a lifetime to do little by little. Later on in Isaiah, we'll read here a little, there a little, um, line upon line, um, et cetera. This is the way you turn back to God, he's saying. So, you know what? Looking at verse 10 and 11, let, let's just stop there for tonight. We'll pick it up in verse 10 next week and then move into chapter 28 because there's some concepts in 10 through 13 you know we should take a little bit of time and they do have some there's actually two two different ways you can interpret 10 and 11 and i want to talk about those a little bit both of them you can find in the bible and in the new testament as well what it's talking about so let's 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 stop there as we've made peace with god tonight because israel will do that and yet there are things that will still be there that won't be rebuilt. And we'll talk about that more next week. Again, this is a prophecy, you know, for what God talking about in that in that day that lets ahead of uh, lies ahead of us. And then in chapter 28, we'll get into some of the prophecies of um Ephraim, it looks like in that day. Um that's later on past the prophecies that we read in chapters 13 to 23. So let me let me end there and just open it up for any discussions, questions, conversations on anything really that you want to um anything you want to talk about so hey reggie well actually it's sandy with the question oh, hi, sandy. <laughs> i see you both there so <laughs> here um with a duo i just had one question i've often thought about we're talking about leviathan mm -hmm. and which we know is picture satan god created him doesn't i mean god has the power to totally destroy satan and the fallen angels, if he chooses to. I mean, is that something you think he will do when his plan of salvation for man is done? I um, I don't think there's anything based on biblically. I just sort of yeah, no, no. I, I, I mean, unless God has another purpose for Satan somewhere down in the plan, right? I mean, of of something. If he's got another creation in mind that they have to choose, then yes, he would keep him alive. But that you know, I. I God does have the power. God does have the power to destroy Satan if he if he wants. It's a matter of when, right? And when when he's through with him, when he because Satan helps us be perfected today, so that we choose, you know, cho we choose God, and God knows that character will be perfected as we continually resist Satan. Yeah. 
But okay. Does he have the power? Yes, yes, I believe he does. We haven't read that, right? He slays the dragon in Jude in, in right. Jude 41. So okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Becky. Oh well, by the way, how's your leg doing, Reggie? Never mind. <laughs> well, Reggie has coming along real well. Okay. It's going on six weeks now. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Keep up, keep up the good work. You have to be doing good work for it to be, to be say that. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, Becky. Yes. I wanted to revisit the verse in um, Psalm 73, 13 and 14, I guess okay. verses. I've always wondered about that. And I just wanted to clarify and see that you said here, you think Pharaoh is compared to Leviathan. Yeah, 74, 74, 14. Yeah, yes. um, and I'm, I'm drawing that because it talks about dividing the sea, right? Dividing the sea by your strength. That That's clearly, I think, what God's talking about, um, about the parting of the Red Sea. And then remember all the Egyptians went in there and, and God conquered them. And he really broke all the pride of Pharaoh in that Red Sea. He broke them in pieces and, and Egypt was never the same again, so. I really appreciate that. Okay. Um, and also, I had another question. Um, well, I wanted to say about Leviathan, I read a really good um, article on HWA Library at some point, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and there were several, um, uh, I want to say not scrolls, but tablets that were uncovered in like Syria, Mesopotamia, and that area. And there was actually this ancient monster, monster called Lotom, the mm -hmm. chaos monster. And okay. he was comparable to Leviathan. It was a seven-headed beast, and like some of his heads had been destroyed. It, it, you can search for that on HWA Library if you're interested uh, in it. Okay, oh, that's very that's uh, that, yeah, that's quite interesting. Very good. So, um, I had one more, but I can't think of it right now. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, Dale. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, in uh, Isaiah 27, verse one. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it talks about Leviathan and um, interesting looking at a commentary in, in, in Arabic, it means the, uh, the twisted animal. Hmm. And I was, uh, I was kind of thinking, uh, of course, Satan does so many counterfeits, uh, what God does. And uh, you, you mentioned, I think in Revelation 13, the seven headed beast. Yes. And, and, and in, uh, I could read, if I could read Revelation five and verse six here, uh, just for a moment. It says, uh, now behold, and in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as if it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And uh, it just tells me how uh, we've got to be so careful uh, that uh, Satan doesn't counterfeit, that, that we're, not the, we're not deceived by things. And he will use that, right? He will use everything he can to make us think he's that. <laughs> he's the lamb. So, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Edgardo. Oh, yes. Uh, comment on, on that question about the, the final destiny of Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, when you read Ezekiel 28, the section that talks about the king of Tyre, which is basically a, a symbol for, for Satan. Uh-huh. If you go to uh chapter 28 and for example read verse 17, that it gives you a clue that it's talking about Satan because it says your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings 
which I think those kings is, are the saints, that they may gaze at you. And then it says, farther down, it says that, therefore, I brought fire from your midst, it devour you, and I turn you to ashes upon the earth, in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. That's exactly what it says. Is that it? I will. I, I, you read it, and that's exactly what the Bible says. So, okay. Xavier, did you have something you wanted to add, or there's there's a few comments, um, Brother Shabi. Uh, who is it? Um, our Lord says that in reference to what um what God just read that um, the lake of fire is prepared specifically for Satan and the demons. It's just that men would sadly partake of it too. Um, and then in regards to the, the serpent, uh, with, with the fiery serpents, they were shining serpents. Yeah, they stung them, but they made a bronze. God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent on a stick, and Israel worshipped that for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And right. if you look at the who symbol, they have this, the stick and a golden serpent around it. Mm-hmm. And that goes along with what we've always seen revelation with pharmacia. Yep. Yeah, we should have actually, yeah. I mean, you reference Revelation 20, verse 2, where God lays hold of the dragon. There he binds him for a thousand years and then and released he's loosed after the, the thousand years. But yeah, yeah. God, God knows what the ultimate fate of Satan is. It's just a matter of when, I think, so... Though, though some people say maybe he will be in prison because it says in the blackness of darkness forever. Yeah. So it's like, which, how do we, you know, I guess the gods that we get there will know. <laughs> yep. God knows one day we'll know <laughs> in his time. So, uh, yeah, Dale? Uh, yeah, uh, the Savior mentioned, I think, in uh, Isaiah 27, verse 8. Uh, in measure when it shoots forth, he said the it would be the pronoun she. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can look at a commentary. It's, it used the word uh, adulteress. If, that, if that's the case, it would fit in, wouldn't it? It uses it uses the word adulteress? Well, well, well in, a, in a commentary, you know, we have to be careful with commentaries, but it did, it did comment on Israel's sins and uh, and use the word, uh, at the, you, know, you know, being an adulteress. Yeah. And God refers to Israel that way in many other places, so that would follow follow right in line with what he what he considers. And yeah, yeah. where's your ball? The Lusigan. Hi. Hi. Good evening, Mr. Shabi. How's things over there just, in, in Nigeria? Oh, fine, fine, fine. We give thanks to God. God is in control. Excellent. Good. I, I just want to say that it's been uh, quite an interesting Bible study tonight, and I've learned so much about Leviathan. Uh, I'm, I'm happy um, to um, show the many, the many parts of Leviathan, the many applications, the different ways to apply Leviathan, both literally and literally. I, I also want to thank you for keeping the Bible study running in spite of your busy schedule. I know you're very busy, but for still keeping the Bible study running, I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Oh, God. This is one of the highlights of my week is being with you and doing these Bible studies. So um, 
it's a pleasure. It's, it's great to see you and, and everyone. So thank you. Yeah, Jeff. Um, I was thinking, uh, in the beginning, I think you had a um, capacity in the room for about 100 people. Is the um, capacity extended now, and who might we invite? Oh, uh, the, no, the capacity is up to 500 now, so. so we, who might we invite uh, across the God. wants to is more than welcome so thank you very much mm -hmm. okay everyone tired okay okay uh, yeah. now streaming from Nashville Mr. Oh. Petty also won right now for you um, alternate one things. Okay, okay. Yeah, Floyd, did you have something? Um, I didn't know if you ever heard that the medical association, the symbol, is All the right. fiery, fiery serpents. Have you heard uh, that before, too? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yep. thought that was interesting. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Reggie or Sandy? Yeah, I was just wondering uh, when are the next recordings going to be? Our next what? The recordings, Beyond Today recordings. Oh, uh, March, okay. actually a week from today, March 8th. March okay. 8th. Yeah. 2 30. Yeah. Just leave it to Satan to put a, a snake uh, related to health. The WHO. <laughs> World Health Organization yeah. logo. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Put it to him to put mix a health with his, with himself. His symbol. And the yet they deny the, the Bible. Serpent, but they use their the, they use the symbol from the Bible, but they deny it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, great to be with all of you tonight. Have a great uh, rest of the week. Very good Sabbath. We will look forward to seeing you next Wednesday night. Okay. Thank you. 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 Thank you.